You are listening to the Ethereum Core Devs Meeting number 12, recorded on March 17th, 2017. If you would like to help support the show, head over to anchor.fm slash ethereum foundation and donate to the Ethereum or Bitcoin address listed on the profile. Thank you. Enjoy. My cat is a core developer, um, specifically with uh, creating a implementation of the Ethereum client uh, in the esoteric programming language Brainfuck. So <laughs> yes, we know about that one. Yeah, yeah. So that that's what my cat's up to. That hey. would be a good language for cats. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is a good start of the meeting. <laughs> Starting in Brainfuck. Definitely. I woke up with 15 minutes to spare. Nice. I woke up an extra hour, 20 minutes early, because I thought that 1400 uh, GMT was 8 a.m. my time. It was actually 9. Oh, there's things on the internet to make that really clear. Yeah, I've heard. Don't know Even Google, you, just, you type in 1400 UTC, it, it will tell you, like, what the right time is in your time zone. Unless you have your IP really like hidden in the way. <laughs> true. <laughs> that, that is very true. Um, let's see. So let me attach the agenda. So that's going to be you prefer to stop. So I just put the agenda in Gitter and on um the internal chat here. So we'll wait just another second mm-hmm. and then um, start on up. That's different than yesterday's agenda? Uh, there's been just a couple of updates from Yoichi, and um, I'm in the process of editing the um, accepted EIPs because we forgot one from uh, one of our discussions on Metropolis. Okay, so we have... Um, Parity, CPP, EVM, Ruby, Pythereum, Go, and I think that's it. So, hi, uh, Andre, uh, which uh, development team are you with? It's C++ team. Hi, Hudson. Oh, hi. Nice to meet you. I, okay, yeah, I think I saw you on Skype. You have cat tails. I have dog parts. <laughs> No one else can share them. Yeah. And with that from Greg, we'll, we'll kick off this meeting. Um, so <laughs> the first agenda item is uh, EIP signaling and voting system update. Uh, so me and Casey, uh, Casey and I, talked to uh, some people from the Carbon Vote and Boardroom and MetaMask teams, and where we formed a group to create a voting system. Um, on blockchain that also uh, connects um, to GitHub in order to show support uh, by individual and by group uh, for certain EIPs. So, uh, yep, that's in progress, and uh, some of the first um, looks at that are pretty good. And then, Casey, uh, do you want to talk about um, the overall idea of your um, page that shows the implementations and which client it's implemented on um i guess not 
not too much to say really if you've already seen the table. Uh, it's not mandating that and you know that client maintainers uh, implement any particular RPC method. Vote uh, for an RPC method, you know, um, approves or adds or changes an RPC method. Doesn't mandate that uh, a a, um, a maintainer of a client or a core dev, you know, has to follow that um, that specification. It just means that there will be a red mark in the table. Is all. Okay. Cool. So yeah, it's so that's about it. Cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um. Uh, what's the other? Uh, what's that kind of based off of Casey? It's the uh, uh, who else uses that? Was it a JavaScript? I guess. Yeah, the ES uh, the ES six compatibility table and stuff. It, it's linked in the in the EIP and the in the issue. Okay, great. I'll put that in the uh, notes uh, post meeting. Great. So uh, next is uh, going to be. EIP 225, this is the click proof of authority protocol and rink B proof of authority testnet. So, uh, Peter, you can uh, take it away on that. Hey, uh, I'm just going to link it to anyone. Uh, I'm wondering. Sure. Uh, so, basically, the, it's kind of meant as a solution for our constant testnet problems. Um, last time we um, so obviously, Robstam blew up. We all know why it blew up. Uh, and the problem was last time we kind of agreed that maybe we should try to uh, somehow um, revive it, but uh, that didn't turn out to go so smoothly as we expected. And the problem is that even uh, even if we do try to somehow incentivize reviving Robstam, it's um, it, it will always be attackable if somebody really wants to do it. And Maybe if we start up a 10 GPUs, it can sustain some attacks, but if somebody really wants to break it, it can break it. And the problem is that kind of everybody was, the entire community blew up when the Robstone went down because dev developers kind of rely on it to be able to test their stuff. So we, even though it's not proof of, so they, most of the developers don't care what consensus engine test uh, that runs on as long as they can depend on it. Many people kind of started rolling their own private test mm -hmm. you know, appeared and others. It's a bit messy. And then the entire uh, suggestion behind the DCIP is that uh, we can, well, my suggestion is to relaunch a new testnet based on a very, very simplified proof of authority protocol. Now, uh, the proof of authority protocol that's, uh, that I kind of call the click is kind of, so the, the basic design principle behind the protocol was that uh, we reuse as much as possible from the existing consensus system. Basically, it should be able to integrate, be integrated into existing clients with as little hassle as possible. And yet again, it should uh, it should play along with all current technologies, light clients, fast sync, uh, warp sync. It should not require clients, developers, to kind of uh, update their entire code base just to support this. And, uh, well, I won't go over the entire spec, but the idea is that, uh, the, for example, the, the entire consensus protocol group of authority is implemented mm -hmm. It's as part of the header fields. And there's a small voting mechanism so that signers can vote to add new signers or to drop existing signers. And the only field that is significantly changed, so to speak, extra data, but that field can 
since that field is dynamic in the original spec, I mean, in our current protocol, basically we can do whatever we want with that field because it doesn't break any rule, any networking rule, serialization rule, etc. And the protocol is kind of, I won't go over the entire thing, you can read it. It's, um, it's basically just a very simple, elegant proof of authority protocol that that plays nice with uh, with everything. And just to point out, we did uh, also an implantation in Go. To, um, and uh, uh, we kind of, I'm really proud that it's extremely self-contained. So the whole consensus engine is uh, extremely commented, is 500 lines of code, and the whole voting mechanisms, again, extremely commented with some other stuff is 200 lines of code. And basically, this is two files that can be plugged into the existing systems, and it, it kind of just works. And this was one of the, our core, my core requirements that it should be something that's uh, that's trivial to add to all clients. Because otherwise, if if clients require a lot of work, I mean, client uh, implementers, then it defeats the purpose of running it as a testnet. So that's the TLDR. Okay, cool. Um, so, um, is there any comments from other uh, client devs specifically? If um, anyone has, you know, just initial thoughts on potentially implementing that into their client, um, and also um, if there if there's any concerns with this. <coughs> Arkady from Party here. So yeah, it looks uh, reasonable enough. So we'll probably end up implementing Peter's proposal and also maintaining our own contract-based consensus engine for proof of authority. As for the time frame, uh, it's hard to tell at this point. Couple of weeks, maybe. Okay. Thanks, Arkady. Um, I guess. Yes, we can... Yeah, and then um, oh, Vitalik, are you back? Hey, Vitalik, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you. I just switched to a better internet connection. Oh, perfect. Okay, great. And then um, Jan, uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on this? Hi. Um, I think uh, once the uh, once the standard is is settled, is settled, the code should be very easy to implement in Python or Ruby. Okay, excellent. So yeah, what we'll do is uh, Peter's already written a really uh, very well written um, EIP. We'll transfer, or I'll uh, work with them to transfer that into a PR, and we'll do a final check over um, and pretty much consider it accepted. Um, and uh, Christian, just to make sure CPP is on board with this, I thought I saw something in like a Gitter chat that y'all were good. Yeah, sure. So uh, we'll probably take. Longer than parity, <laughs> but because we're focusing on Metropolis now, but yeah, looks looks good. No problem. All right, great. So that one is accepted. Uh, we can move on to the next item, which is uh, EIP two fourteen. Um, so this, I believe, this is kind of shortened into static call versus peer call, where um, should static call ch do a state changing operation um, and actually throw or just be reverted? So um, this was discussed um, a little bit on the channel by Nick or Martin. So I don't think I see Nick in here. Martin, um, could you elaborate on this and give your point of view? Yeah, uh, well, I guess it's 
it's um, basically uh, since um, since we have rebirth, it is possible to do a kind of synthetic pure call uh, by having one of the having a, an initial um, bouncing through basically a reverting operation which returns the return value in the revert. So and doing that kind of call will allow you to make pure calls that which Wait. are not hindered um, state. So it's kind of an ugly backdoor into pure calls. Hold on, do you mean pure call or static call? I'm not sure which I mean. Okay, so static call can read, but it can't write. Pure call can neither can't write and it also can't read. Yeah, so this would uh, be able to read. It would. They are right. able to. To they are kind of able to write, but anything they write will be reverted. Okay. Wait, hold on. So, so they how, can have. Sorry. So how do you get the information out, but still do the but still revert anything that was written again? Yeah, because the funny thing with the revert is that you're able to get a return. You can pass the return value as it's as it was eventually defined. Oh, I opposite. see. Ah, interesting. So you can bounce through a revert, and and the effect you can have is that you can call stuff, and it that stuff can store intermediary values during the calculation or whatever, and it can access the state, it can return, and then you revert the return value instead of returning. So, so that does seem, so, it's different functionality, right? Because in that yeah. kind of situation, the state could still change in the middle of the call. And so you could still have like weird reentrancy attacks through that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, because it would well, be. Well, yeah. So I mean, like, what if, you, no, but I mean, like, attacks where, let's say, A, like, A calls B, and that call is supposed to be a static call, but then B calls A, and then A calls B, and then that does some state changes. And like basically, then like the uh, the inner call makes some state changes, and that influences the outer call. Yeah, but if the, if the envelope call is going to revert anyway. Well, no, but the point basically is that the uh, outer call. Let, so let's say the uh, outer call. Um, so B. So in my case, B has some state. And the the process of calling the function starts changing some state. Then let's say at some point, uh, then after that it calls A, and then A calls B again, and then that changes a bunch of state. Then after that, once the execution goes back to B, it, like the execution of B is going to continue, but the state will have been changed in the middle. So it's like a revert. It it's a reentrancy attack that's like one level deeper in. Yeah, I'm not sure I follow you, but so the point the, the point I was making is that as 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 soon as we implement the revert opcode and Nick pointed this out also, then it will be possible to kind of abuse the revert functionality in order to obtain uh, side effect free calls. Hmm. And uh, yeah, do we want all these different kind of mechanisms? Uh, right, I see. Um, okay. Hmm. You know, think about it. It might not. It might actually not be an issue. Uh, um. No, it might not be. I, it's just an open question on the Wolfcordell's channel. Right. Now, actually, I mean, if I can't think of any problems with that, then that definitely does seem like an 
interesting way of doing a static uh, of doing static call. I, th I think there are two reasons against it. Mm -hmm. And one of them is you will end up with two calls. So essentially, the proposal here was that uh, in your contract, if you're trying to call something with static call uh, to, uh, to another contract, first you will call yourself another function on your contract, which does the call and does the revert. Um, and the second reason <clears throat> is if we have the actual an actual static call, then um, with static analyzers, you could you could be sure that it will be a static call, right? Otherwise, yeah, you need you to... Can... Well, I mean, so the thing that you would do with static analyzers here is you would do a call, and then you would do an assert that says that the result of the call, that the value that was popped onto the stack by the stack opcode basically said that it got reverted. Um, so one thing that does concern me, though, is that you like if you start using it in that way, then you can't really distinct. Like if the revert opcode pushes a zero onto the stack, then you can't distinguish between successful reverts and uh, exceptions inside of the yeah, inside of the call. So, like it would almost seem better to push it two onto the stack or something else, or as uh, well reverse that inside the inside the the forwarder, right? I mean, the forwarder always succeeds, and the fact whether the internal call succeeded or not will be part of the return data of the revert. Kind of, but like even there's still going to be cases where you can't really distinguish. Basically, if a uh, an, the internal call fails, right, then it's going the only you can't really tell the difference between that and it returning zero data. Yeah, there was a separate uh, proposal to change the return value of call to have three states. Yeah, okay, I, I fully support that. Yes, I, I support that. So, and I would totally fix this issue. But, but that's not something we have uh, planned for Metro, right? Having three return values for call? I mean, it's something that would be trivial to implement if we agree on it. Yeah, but it would be... Um, I mean, it's definitely not backwards compatible. Well, hold on. So the revert opcode right now doesn't exist, right? So oh, if I the revert opcode... No, I thought we were talking about what call returns. Yeah. Right. So what call returns is not that easy to change uh, because of all the existing Solidity contracts. Right, but I mean, what, what if we have zero representing an actual an actual throw, one representing an uh, an a, uh, a correct output, and then the number two representing the revert opcode? Then shouldn't that solve it in a totally backwards compatible way? Current solution. Let's check for non-zero. Yeah, so that's fine, because like if it uh, unless oh I see because zero is failure. Off. Right, so the, I guess the challenge here is that the throw opcode has two use cases where one of them is to signal a failure and one of them would be to abuse it in this way to return a static value. So uh, so if we have if we have a... So, okay, just start from further mm -hmm. back. So revert with return data only makes sense if we have at least uh, return data size and perhaps even return data copy. Why? Um... Because the uh, the success type, the, mm -hmm. the the success data type and the failure data type is these are two different things. 
And right. they can have different sizes, so we need dynamic returns. Sure. Although, um, and well, hold on. I mean, we can still do it with. Uh, I mean, we can establish. I think for most use cases, the uh, a failure return data type just being thirty-two bytes should be enough, right? I, like, like cases that require the failure return to be like variable size seem uh, limited. But then you need okay. But okay, assuming we have return data size, then. Right. We can use that to distinguish throw from revert. True. Throw will not provide data and revert will, or I mean, revert without data is basically the same as, as just the throw. Right. So like, what would the, what would the assert be after a call then? Would it say, uh, returns, like, would it check the stack value for one and then, or the, uh, and then, or that with the return data size or. So what's, what's the exact question? So. Like, how would high-level programming languages implement that and work with uh, all of these things? Are you talking about the static call workaround or other solution? Or? Well, both, kind of both at the same time. So, like, the static call workaround use case and the use case of using throw to actually signal an error. So, the just regular throw revert mechanism... Um, yeah, yeah, that has not been worked out correctly how to... To that so you're basically in a high level language, but basically, yeah, you check for uh, failure, and in the case of failure, you just access the, the return data, and that goes into some kind of exception object. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bit unfortunate that um, one is a success. Mm. Yeah, so is this all. Um, just just for me to kind of keep up with that, is this all relating to EIP 214 or is this a culmination of EIPs that build on each other? It's, I think, a combination. Okay, mm -hmm. sounds good. So, um, okay, so yeah, 214 is the new opcode static call, and it sounds like based on that, other things might need to change. Um, would someone be able to... Um, cross-reference these EIPs in the repository, and what I mean by that is either tag them across each other or give an outline uh, more or less of what was discussed today, today? I think we didn't discuss more than is already written in the issues, did we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. I'm, I haven't looked through all of these EIPs. Uh, uh, yeah, potentially. So, um, what we can do is we can bring this up in the next all core dev meeting. Uh, but this, uh, I think someone mentioned this isn't something that's going into Metro, right? Oh, no, I think it is, isn't it? It's done for now. So the question is, so, so the proposal was to not include static call because it can be simulated by other mechanisms, which will probably right, also yeah. make their way into Metropolis. Yeah. Um, so one uh, kind of side question: Are we also interested in uh, in pure call? And uh, I mean, pure call is, is is fundamentally different because it right. it doesn't I mean, call into another address, right? But I, I mean, it's, it's, it's very different. I would say, right? Yeah, I mean, like it does require some of the machinery because. Like in the case of static call, you have to do something to either disable or throw on uh, any write operations. And in the case of uh, pure call, you have to do the same thing for both writes and reads. Or, 
But um, although I guess doing just one is definitely simpler than doing both. So, okay, so like I I personally definitely feel a bit a bit more comfortable with return data size if it means that you know, it, we can kind of simulate static call without actually without actually doing static call. Um, like so. I think it would be good to, to code up a, a specific example of how to do that exactly. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Would that have to be across multiple clients or just one example that everyone... By, co by code up, do you mean like a little, uh, an uh, implementation in, inside of Ethereum code or do you mean like an implementation of how that gets used in high-level code? Uh, no, I was thinking about an assembly implementation. Oh yeah, I um, mean, so in that case, it'll be done in like Serpent or Solidity Assembly or LLL or whatever. Yeah. So the the high level thing, I think that that needs to be discussed in uh, separately, but it's a bit. Mm -hmm. so the, the the main problem here is that uh, when you look at Solidity, you can't really distinguish an internal from an external call, mm -hmm. and. The mechanism is, of course, different for internal and external calls, so that might be a bit complicated, but yeah, we have to see. Okay, sounds good. So um, to give a summary, uh, Casey and Alex uh, in the chat put uh, some of the ones that cross-reference um, this issue a little bit, and um, uh, Christian, would uh, you all be able to talk about do that implementation you were talking about, and just kind of post that across the EIPs and maybe the Gitter channels? Sure. Okay, great. Uh, Casey just had a comment. Yeah, we can move it into the under consideration table. That's that's a good idea, so that they can all be in there, and then we can um, concatenate any that we need to. <clears throat> so, uh, any other comments on this? Okay. Oh, um, and then Alex, uh, you typed in chat something. Did you have a comment? Uh, well, no. It's just Casey said if maybe we should move pure static call revert and uh, data size uh, into under consideration for Metropolis, but I think revert itself is yeah. uh, is standalone. Yeah, exactly. Like revert is uh, seems very uncontroversial and it's useful even if none of the other stuff gets implemented. Okay. Sounds good. Um, but if it is dependent on return data size. Yeah, I thought Christian said that uh, revert isn't very useful without return data size and return data copy. Uh, at least it's Depends much more useful. Case. Yeah, it's much more useful when we also have these other two. Okay, so let's keep it as accepted. Then, uh... Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so it's, it's useful with other things, but it can also stand on its own even without those. Okay, sounds good. Uh, cool. I think that's all the comments for this. So the next item is um, EIP-161. Um, I believe that's kind of already dealt with more or less. Uh, Yoichi, do you want to um, just do a brief summary of uh, what you commented on in the agenda page and uh, how that's being resolved? Ah, yeah, sure. So basically it's about the yellow paper status and about Metropolis, things look good, but uh, there are other bad stuff. Good news first. Um, for Metropolis, I've created 
requests for most Metropolis EIPs, except elliptic curves. And I visited Gavin's office and with him I discussed Metropolis PRs. And now it's clear to me what he wants, what he doesn't want. So um, things good. Things look good there. Uh, but I have to do a little head, heads up here because the yellow paper on the master branch currently is still at Homestead. So even before Spurious Dragon, the previous book, um, I once submitted the Spurious Dragon pull request, Gavin merged it, but he reverted the changes. Um, and he says he wants some cleanup first. And uh, Gavin said uh, I and he, he and I should meet more frequently, so we will be meeting regularly, working on the yellow paper together. And a background to all this is the yellow paper is not under an open source license or Creative Commons or no license, so it's just Gavin's authorship and some other contributors' copyrights. So, um, so I, 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 I need to keep working with him and I will be persistent about that. Okay, sounds good. Um, I saw that, um, and I just want to know if this is, oh, go ahead. So yeah, I had an additional concern about EAP 161. That was on the oh, that's, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. Yeah, I, I was going to go to yep. your, your comment and uh, get her, but go ahead, Arkady. Okay. So, yeah, so EIP-161 allows to delete empty accounts, but it doesn't clearly specify if a pre-compiled contract account can be considered empty when it doesn't have any storage. Uh, so my interpretation is that it cannot because it contains our native code. And this is not an issue for the main Ethereum network currently, because all of the precompiles have some balance currently there. But it might be an issue for future networks, the new testnet or the private network, whatever. And it would be good to clarify that and to specify it in the yellow paper as well. I can explain the yellow paper status. Uh, in my previous Dragon pull request, uh, it's specified that the precompiles can be empty. Their code is empty and they can be removed. Um, and then I believe that's what other implementations do currently. Okay, well, about this proposal, um, it's very easy in the yellow paper to implement this particular proposal so that precompiles cannot be empty. So as far as yellow, the yellow paper is concerned, whichever is fine if consensus is gained. Okay. And um, um, I, a question related to that. Um, I'm assuming that they won't be existing in the state try though, right? So the code, the, the native code, this thing will not be in the state try. Uh, you are right. So the way to distinguish that is actually, so there, there, there must be an in-protocol mechanism to distinguish pre-compiles and non-pre-compiles. 
otherwise, otherwise、um, we cannot distinguish empty usual accounts or empty precompiles. So we need a mechanism to specify which address contains precompiles. Well, if all the implementations already go with that they can be empty, it might be reasonable to just keep up with the de facto standard. But I would like to confirm that this is really the case. So I looked at the Go theorem code, and this seems to be the case. So yeah, so it that that was the case before the the Dragon hard fork, and、uh, I think. I don't see the issue with keeping it, although like implementation has to consider like having empty contract that can actually return some some data in calls. But that was the case before、uh, the hard fork, and、um, I don't really see the the reason for the change. Yeah.、So、what is the reason?、Uh, sorry, Peter, you can go ahead.、Uh, no, I just wanted to say that.、Uh, I, so I'm not. I haven't checked that part of the code for a long time in Go Ethereum, but、uh, I think、uh, so. There was a, at a given point there was a, a mini fork in mainnet when Geth and Parity went two different directions, and then it turned out that、uh, both the clients had some bug. And as far as I know, the issue was that.、Uh, Uh, Go Ethereum did not delete something because it had a rule that precompiles cannot be deleted, while Parity deleted it. So I'm not sure whether we delete it or not, but、uh, I kind of agree with Arkady that it's、uh, this is kind of a weird corner case, and it would be nice to specify, especially if you want、uh, clients to play nicely on on non main network. Uh, more precisely, this consensus issue was about out of gas、uh, ha happening during pre-compiled execution. So after the previous dragon contained empty account removal thing, empty accounts were removed when they were touched. And the question was, when a contract was being executed, but out of gas happens if. Okay, the question is if this contract is touched or not touched when the out of gas happened, and usually、um, when out of gas happens, everything should be reverted, so state removal shouldn't happen, and the account was not touched. But for precompiles, it was different, and that's the state now. So we currently have an exception on precompiles that uh, if even if out of gas happens during precompiled contract execution, they are touched and their state might be cleared.、Uh, I have a question about、uh, how can this? I don't understand how how this can be a problem on private networks since we don't create empty accounts. But I'm, so I'm missing something, but I don't know what I'm missing. Ah、uh, no, this is only a problem if people start creating a new network with homestead rules, for instance, and then create empty accounts and then do the cleanup. If people start with、uh, after previous dragon rules, then I mean they will never see an empty account. So, right. right, but if we implement this, this will be part of a hard fork. 
though I mean we can't retroactively implement this. I don't really understand. Um, people can start private networks with uh, pre spurious dragon bulls and set up empty accounts. <laughs> That's the only case. Yeah, but yeah. So, and personally, I think I think that over like over time, we should be deprecating support for old rule sets more and more, right? So, like, I don't see much of a need for supporting people making hard forks with pre-spurious dragon rules, or sorry, for with people making private chains with pre-spurious dragon rules. Agreed. Okay, so it uh, sounds like then that would just be a clarification at the yellow paper level and. Uh, an assurance that all the clients are now um, in compatibility, which I believe was fixed during the uh, the hard fork around uh, November, I guess Thanksgiving time. I think there was a pre-compile that was deleted on mainnet. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, the um, question though uh, regarding private networks. Uh, should it be assumed that this the hard forks are uh, dependent on each other? I mean, if if only Spirit Dragon is uh, is specified from block zero, should it be assumed that all the previous hard forks also uh, are applied at that block? Uh, we had a discussion about exactly this, this with Jeff and Felix a few days ago. He's reworking our Genesis handling. And uh, well, Jeff's proposal was that how it would be so awesome if people could uh, uh, could turn on and off individual soft forks. But in my opinion, the problem that this is that this will open up a huge can of worms if uh, yeah. there's some unforeseen dependency between um, hard forks. It could really I mess know. things up. Yeah, so the implementation in C++ is also assuming strictly ascending hard forks. Yeah, it would be good just to, I mean, it's not hard, it's not critical, but it would be good if there was some general consensus about that. Oh, Vitalik, could you mute? Uh, sorry, hold on. Okay, so it sounds like um, I don't think this is requiring of an EIP because this was more or less dealt with in the one of the last hard forks. So, um, yeah, I think everyone am I, am I right to say that pretty much everyone's in agreement of how the changes are going to go? And it's more, I guess, at this point, if we're all trying to figure out if it's worth it to do backwards uh, compatibility for this, if someone wants to pick and choose what previous hard fork. Um, previous hard fork changes they want to put in their private network. So uh, are we kind of more or less saying we don't really want to go that path because it overcomplicates future improvements? I'm not a client developer. Uh, I've been interested in hearing what Peter and Vitalik says about it and Chris and whoever. Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter that much, but it would still be nice to clarify that in the yellow paper. Just update it to the current state of Okay. Of the implementation. Okay, great. So yeah, it sounds like the spec is important to be updated. Oh, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I just <coughs> wanted to say that uh, um, the only thing I so if we do specify that they can only occur incrementally and you cannot cherry pick whatever you want, I think the 
the benefit of that would be uh, easier reasoning about security of the entire chain. Okay, sounds good. So, um, yeah, we'll do the update to the yellow paper. Um, is there any other comments on this? Otherwise, I think it's pretty much resolved. So I will clarify that in the previous Dragon pull request, I'm trying again. I think you cut off there at the end, Yoichi. Uh, repeat that one more time. Ah, okay. So I will clarify this point in my Spurious Dragon pull request that I'm trying to fight again. Oh, great. Okay, sounds good. Uh, the next item is... Okay, that was four. Five is the Metropolis updates and finding a central location to document EIPs going into Metro. So in the um, Gitter channel, I will repost this, but I posted um, three links, and then Casey added a fourth for where EIPs um, should go. And let me get the fourth one real quick. Uh, so basically, there is a list from Parity um, within their github pr system uh or issue system there's a, a list from geth um i believe it's a pull request and then there is a page on the pm repo that has um kind of a it was a really old list of all of them so that's inaccurate i'll be updating it and then i feel like the one that is the most updated is the link casey posted which was the EIPs page, accepted EIPs plan for adoption. Uh, so if everyone can go there, it has a list of um, EIPs ready or that are planned for adoption and are in the process of being implemented. So um, looking at this uh, across the other um, across the other clients that are implementing this, it's mostly the same list. Uh, does anybody see one that's missing or any comments about uh, the ones that are added? I, I think they've all been accepted in previous calls, but we may have to check on that and um, uh, clarify that in future calls. Yeah, because it looks like, I think at least in the case of Parity, um, 86 and 96 are not in their list for the Metro release. Uh, so... I was wondering about that. If you could comment, Arkady. I'm pretty sure they are. Maybe check the numbers in brackets because some of these uh, have. Yep, yep, I see. Numbers. Yeah, I see because, yeah, the numbering is weird. Okay, thank you. I, I see. Yeah. And then let me just look at Geth real quick just to make sure that all of those are correctly in there as well. So we have 198, 140, 98. Uh, the pairing pre-compile return data. Okay. I think they have all of them. Go ahead, Casey. Maybe, maybe we'll just add a column um, to that table uh, with that contains short links to, you know, to each client uh, pull request, you know, where the, the implementation is uh, taking place. Okay, great. Um, I guess lastly, uh, Jan, I think you have a PR or a issue that lists all this, right? Maybe I saw that for something else. Uh, sorry, uh, APR set up for what? Uh, for the Metropolis um, changes. So uh, just the EIPs and their level of implementation uh, per client. Uh, I don't think so. I have no PR set up for, you mean Ruby client? 
Uh, yeah. Alright, uh, that or Python. Um, I just hadn't looked at them. Uh, no, that, there's no one in Python set up for Metropolis, I think. Okay, no problem. Yeah. I was just going to check so we could add that link or not. Okay, cool. Um, any other comments on uh, the list of accepted EIPs uh, planned for adoption? Yeah, I was going to mention that um, you know it helps to use descriptive titles in the you know in the in the pull request that people open you know to um, that specifies the EIP um, because then that title whatever title is used in the uh, in the EIP then you know it then goes into the the table. Um, and so where the titles were too short or undescriptive, like, like EIP 86, um, I took some Liberty and, and inserted, you know, a, what I thought was a more descriptive title. Okay, great. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Uh, so, um, everyone who's, uh, doing some of the EIP PRs, that, that's a, that's a good tip to help them be a little bit more clear. Um, I believe there's so I didn't actually add this to the agenda because I just realized this is still something that needs to be brought up. But um, the there's a list of EIPs under consideration. So I know two eleven, which was the return data size and return data copy, is still you know uh, being discussed. But EIP five gas usage for return and call. Um, what's the status of that, Christian? Is that I. I Guess I forgot if an, if we've talked about it in a previous call or if there is a status on it. So my preference would be to replace that by return it a copy and return it a size, but yeah. Oh, okay. So it's not even really. Italic voiced a different opinion last meet in the last meeting. Ah, got it. So yeah, any updates on your opinion, Vitalik, or uh, was that kind of related to the previous discussion we had in this meeting? Yeah, my opinion on which topic? Uh, whether or not uh, so uh, on the EIPs under consideration on the README, the two eleven is what we discussed earlier. Uh, another one is EIP five gas usage for return and call. Uh, and you, I think, right, Christian was yeah. saying that yeah, you were more um, fond yeah. Of five. I mean, I I still feel like five is uh, simpler than, and uh, more ideal than uh, than two eleven. I mean, I'd be willing to go with 211 if it also means that we can get rid of static call, though I think there might also be a, an even cleaner way to do like 5 and accomplish the same goal as static call in some other way. Like, basically, my main concern is that <coughs> we should be trying to like minimize opcode inflation as much as possible. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, so that's going to still be under discussion then. Let's try to think a little bit more on that and next... Uh, all core devs call start to come to a resolution I, I would recommend just because yep. of the timing um, for the metropolis things uh, speaking of which, yeah speaking of mm -hmm. which I believe oh uh, Greg did you have a comment yeah I don't care about opcode inflation per se but I don't have the feeling that this little collection of opcodes um, is sort of a logically consistent and minimal little system right. yet. Yeah, like it's the, I, for me personally, opcode inflation is maybe not the right word. Like I can handle opcodes, but the thing that may be uneasy about return data size is it adds also in, uh, another data structure into the computational state. So like it's also that that kind of so it's like 
another sort of unique dimension to complexity in some ways. Yeah, but it can simplify other things. Right. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. But we have to pull it all together. It, it's some. It's, they're sort of unrelated proposals that haven't been pulled together. Right. Yeah, like maybe we need to kind of come up with a few like, competing alternatives for like how all of these things mesh with each other. There's clearly interdependencies. Would it make sense to have a concentrated call on, on these issues somehow at some point? Um, that seems sensible. Or like a kind of research meeting or whatever? I mean, we could even just have an ongoing Skype chat over the next two weeks. Uh, yep. Um, yeah, that definitely sounds reasonable. And another thing, um, so yeah, the ongoing text discussion and then someone uh, starting calls if needed. The other thing is, it sounds like part of the way to alleviate the confusion is to start coming up with like a couple of paragraphs of different, uh, I kind of see it as, you know, EIPs building off each other and proposals building off each other. So making sure that's all understood. A lot, a lot of the time when we're talking about these things, uh, we're saying, you know, it's dependent on the rest of these either being implemented or the way we're going to implement some of these other things. So getting a clear understanding of that, I'm, I'm not sure the best way to do that. I guess the ongoing uh, Skype chat is probably the easiest. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. So yeah, what, what we'll do is um, I will send out a link on Gitter. Um, about the ongoing Skype chat related to this. I'll just go ahead and set that up uh, between uh, Chris, Greg, and Vitalik, and then anyone else who wants to can join based on that getter link. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, there was... Oh, uh, Vitalik, you had mentioned somewhere online that uh, because of it was either the price increase or something else. Uh, I guess we have a little bit more time until the block times um, are adjusted. Yes, um, actually, like again, probably run through the math right now again because it changes literally day by day. So the most recent uh, difficulty is um, stats as being. Slow. I'm not even sure why I'm using ETH stats. Um, I didn't even think ETH stats was. Oh, yeah, ETH stats is kind of wonky right now. I think. Okay. Um, hold on. I'll just use my yellow light node. Okay, one ninety-five trillion. So that's even higher than the last time I did this. Um. Okay. And one ninety-five trillion. So that means our hash power is fourteen trillion. Um, then block number three, three, six, eight, seven, nine, five. Um, on date plus percent as fetch the current timestamp. Running the script thing again. Um, yeah. So by the end of June, the uh, the block time is only going to be around nineteen point five seconds. By the end of August, it's only going to be about 28.5 seconds. So, like, I think we still have, like, it's still, uh, like, basically, if we get it out before the end of June, it's even better. Um, and if we get it out before the end of August, it's still, like, less bad. 
Okay. So like my 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 recommendation is probably still um like end of June as a uh, kind of normal case target and end of August as a worst case deadline. But like basically the conditions that North users would have to go would uh, be end up with uh living through in either case or continue to get better and better. Okay, cool. And is that in any way dependent on the price increase or? Uh... Yes. Okay. So in general, the difficulty of a blockchain is uh, a uh, kind of very lagging moving average of the price. So I would uh, I would say first of all, in any uh, the chance the probability is probably like less than ten percent that difficulty will ever go down again. Like it's uh, almost certainly going to be above two hundred. So then the question is, is, is this the top and is it going to crash back down to 20 to 20 to 30? In which case I could see difficulty topping off and maybe the 250, like the 300 range. Is it going to stay the same as it is now? In which case we could see difficulty being in the four to 500 range is it going to still keep going up. I mean, potentially like if in the kind of sky high scenario where Ethereum takes over Bitcoin entirely, we could literally see this uh, delayed until. Actually, let me see what let me see what happens if I just multiply hash power by another factor of ten. Uh, yeah, so in that extreme case, um, at the end of June, the block time is still fifteen seconds, and at the end of August, it goes up to twenty-one, and only at the end of the year, it goes up to about forty-three. So. We basically the better the better we do the more uh, the more time we have. I would say in the more kind of in my personal estimation of the kind of fifty fifty case, I can probably run through that right now. So that would be difficulty in maybe topping off at five hundred billion in uh, the maybe middle of the summer or so. That would be, or even just to be fair, let's say four fifty. For twenty billion, that would get us to um, also nineteen seconds at the end of June. But then the nineteen seconds would keep on going all the way up until the uh, up until the middle of July. Maybe we should switch our efforts from implementing the EIPs to uh, pumping the price. <laughs> Yay! Let's get linear results for exponential work. I was just thinking, I think I was just wondering whether or not us DOSing our own blockchain and slowing down the block time would also help. Um, but I'd, I think that might be a, mm, yeah, maybe it might. If, if basically, let's like the practical thing to do, I think, is to just like keep our heads down and make and see if we can finish this by the end of June. Yeah. Yeah, we, I mean, we can always try. But one thing I would like to, um, to mention to all all the people who are implementing these EAPs. Because mm -hmm. uh, when you do that, you find edge cases and you think about edge cases and you maybe even make test cases for these. But if they're documented so we can so we make sure that they become consensus tests in the actual Ethereum test repository also. Mm -hmm. So we have a good test coverage of this because yeah. there's a lot of changes. Yes. And it's uh, difficult for Dimitri to keep up with all the, the changes. Totally. So this needs to be a concerted effort. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right. Did we lose Hudson? Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Ah, no. Uh, yeah, my uh, microphone went on mute. So, um, no, I was saying. Uh, so, Martin, when you were talking about that, uh, did you mean people should uh, write their EIPs per very specifically and mention edge cases, or just no? No, I meant that. Uh, 
we need to make sure whenever whenever we during the process of implementing these EAPs, developers uh, need to make sure that uh, all these weird edge cases that they come up with, that they're uh, submitted so that they become test cases, so that all the stuff we learn while implementing it can benefit the other clients and, and we don't have any consensus issues because they make sure they wind up in, in the Ethereum tests repository. Okay, excellent. Um, is there a formal process or even just an informal process best way to get these to Dimitri or to whoever needs it? I don't think there's a formal process. The informal one is to just um, ping him or me or anyone in the... There's a Skype channel, Ethereum dev tests, and there's... I, I'm guessing all core devs would work also. Uh, or Wins Vega on Twitter. Okay. Yeah, I'll talk to him about getting a more concerted effort. Uh, Peter? I just wanted to add to that that uh, I think one of the problems with this, uh, it's a really noble cause. Uh, one of the problems that I see for client developers is that, uh, uh, for example, when modifying or pre building previous forks, um, often we made a modification and it turned out that uh, we couldn't sync testnet because something we changed something, but uh, the change, the error wasn't kept caught by the by the test suite. And then obviously the, the no-brainer would have been to just submit a new test to the test suite, but the problem is that it's so complicated and messy to create a new test that nobody really bothers. So uh, yeah. probably a long-term solution or long-term suggestion from my part would be if we could somehow create a small tool that allows a simple way to make tests so that if I know that this is my corner case so that I can somehow transform that into a test easily without having to manually create everything, all the blocks and all the stuff. Yeah, you're totally right, Peter. And definitely that's something that should be. But in the meantime, uh, I mean, you, I, I wasn't meaning that everyone needs to submit uh, uh, actual test cases. Just document the scenarios or the correct cases and uh, we pre for the last hard fork. I think we set up uh, one of those. Uh, what's it called? So we just type the cases into the paper pad, something like that. Uh, just something like that. Short description, verbal description. Uh, so then Dimitri or someone else can take over and make an actual test case out of it. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, sounds good. Uh, yeah, and I think over time there'll be more, uh, like a more clean process, like the kind Peter's referring to. So yeah, I'm sure Dimitri would be very happy with that suggestion. Hmm. Okay, so uh, any other comments on that? Just a short comment. Uh, uh, Exig already wrote the static call by revert uh, solution. It's a comment on the on the pull request. Oh yeah, and it's also uh, a GitHub gist in um, in this chat in this uh, chat room we're currently in. Damn, Alex, you work fast. Okay, so yep, I think that's actually all the agenda items. Uh, let me just double check. But was there uh, anything else from anybody? Uh, yeah. 
nope, I think this is good. What we'll do is for the, yeah, the last item, I guess, was just where we're going to put all the Metropolis uh, stuff. We're, we'll use the README page uh, on EIP, so if you just go to the EIP's repo, it's the first page on there. So it'll say under consideration or accepted, and that's what we'll go with um, for now. And yeah, just a reminder, if you all have any IPs you want to throw in, uh, please add them to the agenda. Uh, I usually try to set that up at least a week before. I'll start doing it right after meetings, though. And uh, I'll release the audio and some notes on this uh, sometime later today, hopefully. So, uh, yep, good meeting, everybody. Uh, see you all next time. See you. See you. Bye. Bye-bye.